0: Okay, with that being said, let's go to Genesis 23. I'm sure you guys found it by now, right? Gave you plenty of time. Hey, we're going to be in 23 and 24, and what I want to do this morning is I want to make some observations, a little bit of application, but as we walk through these passages, I think there's some really, really good things that we can just take notice of. And so I'm going to be stopping at different places so we can take notice of those things. And then there'll be verses that we'll just skip. So if we're like in Genesis 23, 4, and I'm sounding like Doug and it's taking me 45 minutes to get there, we will get through 24 before 3. I promise you. <laughs> so verse, uh, chapter 23, the first couple of verses, the really good verses. It says, now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in kiriath Arba, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. I want to spend a little bit of time on this because I think it's really important for us as Christians to think through this principle and what's going on in these two verses. Because here's the thing, all of us are going to deal with that. If you haven't already dealt with the death of a mother, father, somebody close to you, you're going to. Here, here's the statistics on death. 100 out of 100 people are going to die. It's, it's, those are the stats. So, so it's inevitable that we're going to um, deal with it. I mean, it's a sobering reality, sobering reality but we're going to, at some point in time, have to deal with somebody that's close to us um, passing away. And I think it's important for us to be able to look at what God has to say about that and to see what's modeled for us. Um, There's an occurrence in December 14 of 1861 in the blue room of Windsor Castle. So this is in the presence of the queen. Five of her nine children were there. Prince Albert passed away unexpectedly of typhoid fever. It says this was perhaps the most significant turning point in Queen Victoria's life, his death. Sent Victoria into a deep depression, and she stayed in seclusion for many years, rarely appearing in public. She mourned him by wearing black for the remaining 40 years of her life. She erected numerous monuments to Albert's legacy. You know, death has a major impact on us emotionally, doesn't it? It's just the, the reality of what it means to be human. Sarah passes away, and, and it's interesting, Sarah is the only woman in the Bible that, that they, they, they tell her what her age is. Isn't that something? She's the only one. And you go, well, why? Well, I think the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and very smart because none of you want us to know how old you are, right? The second thing is, is Sarah was amazing. She was an amazing woman. And they've been married for over a hundred years. A hundred years they were married. And, and, and they went through a lot together. Didn't they? We've been, we've been looking at their life. We've been looking at the decisions they made. We've been looking at the challenges that they've experienced. Most of those a hundred years that she's married, she was barren. How difficult must have that have been for her? How difficult that must have been for Abraham, for them together to know that God had made a promise and year after year after year after year after year, after year the promise didn't happen. He, she must have had such a close relationship with Abraham that they talked about things, they discussed things. She had to have had his ear so that he heard her when she was sharing thoughts and giving ideas because if he didn't listen to her, there would not have been Ishmael, right? So, so they had a relationship where they fellowship together. They fellowship with the Lord together. They went down plan B and go, that was not the right plan. We got to go down plan A. So this is all the stuff that was happening in the relationship that she had with Sarah. And, and you know, she's in her 90s and Abimelech takes her to be in his harem. <laughs> that is amazing. She was so beautiful in her 90s that Abimelech says, I want her in my harem. This is Sarah. This is just, this is an amazing woman. And here is Abraham, this giant of a man, this man of faith. And what does it say that he did? He mourned and wept. He mourned and wept. In fact, this is the first time that the Bible talks about weeping. It's the first time it's mentioned. Didn't talk about Adam and Eve weeping. That was a pretty big train wreck. It didn't talk about Noah weeping, at, thinking about the flood. It didn't talk about Lot weeping when Sodom had, but this is the time when Abraham weeps. And here's the thing that the reason I'm camping on this a little bit, because I really want us to be free. Because sometimes, don't we as Christians think if something happens in our life, we should just smile and, and be happy and be joyful? you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength, and and we shouldn't ever weep, and we shouldn't ever be sad, but that's not reality. It's it's not reality. Jesus wept, right? Shortest verse in the Bible. It's the easiest one to memorize. If you can't memorize scripture, memorize that one. Then you can go, I can memorize the Bible. But Jesus, in front of the tomb, he wept. I think it's important for us to understand that it's okay to experience sorrow. It's okay to grieve. And so Abraham did. But there's a difference, isn't there, between us who believe and those who don't believe as we mourn the loss of somebody. It's a big difference. Paul tells us in in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, "'Don't grieve as do the rest who have no hope.'" See, for us as Christians, our, our tears are completely different from those people that don't know Jesus. Amen? Because we know. We know there's something beyond this. We know that we hurt for them. We miss them. We're sorrowful. But we also know that they're in a better place. That they're with the Lord. That he prepared a place for them. And that there's going to be a reunion. And that we can anticipate that reunion. It's a short separation. It's not something that's going to last forever. Our tears are not inconsolable. That, that's a richness. So I, I, want, I want you to feel free when, when loss happens. And it may not just be the loss of a person. It could be the loss of a career, the loss of a dream. I mean, when we lose things, we feel sad and we shouldn't feel guilty because we're sad that something happened that makes us sad. It's a rich thing to be able to do that. But that being said, I want to say one more thing before we move on. And I promise we will get through twenty-four. I think the, sad, the, the saddest thing, the deepest sadness that people feel is when somebody passes on and they have regrets. And I just want to encourage you because whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, that is the saddest thing that you could experience when you go, I wish I would have. I wish I would have shared with them. I wish I would have told them I love them. I wish I would have made up with them. I wish I would have forgiven them. I wish I would have, I would much rather say, man, I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I spent that time with Marge and we just were able to share and to love each other and spend time together. I'm so glad we spent that time connecting with our daughters and creating experiences together. I'm so glad that I know if something happened to me today, my daughters know I love them. My daughters know I care about them and they know, I know they love me. I mean, I'm so glad that we spent the time to to make relationships that last. I'm so glad that there's people in my life that I've poured into that I know I care about. Nothing is more regretful than to go, oh, I wish I would have talked to them. Because we haven't talked in three years or five years or ten years. I got so mad because they did this that I stopped talking to them. And, and, and now I can't make that up. I, I just encourage you guys to, to make sure that you're valuing the relationship that you have and that you're taking the time to make sure that those relationships are significant and meaningful. And that you aren't going to have any regrets about what you th- wish you would have done because all of us think that, that it'll, it won't happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in five minutes, right? We all have a birthday. Who has a death date? We don't. I mean, if I knew that in 2020, September 18th, I would go, oh, I'm going to invest all my money in the stock and I'm going to do this and I'm going to... Yeah, we don't know. We, five minutes from now, we cannot be around. So God is calling us to be people who who build relationships that are eternal relationships. As soon as I do this, I'll spend more time with... My daughter or my son, as soon as I do this, as soon as she tells me that she's sorry, then I'll make up. I mean, we have all these as soon as that, that, that keep us from building relationships where we can go, man, I'm glad that we had that conversation. I'm glad I was able to do that before she passed away or he passed away. It's so important for us to take, to take that and to understand it and to be able to move forward. Knowing that, that when I have somebody, I miss them, there's tears, there's sorrow, I'm going to miss them tremendously, and, and, but I know that they're onto something better, that the memories will still be there, the, the tears will still be there, but I'm allowing them to move forward. Are you with me? Okay, so I wanted to camp on that a little bit because I think that's important. And Abraham, this man of God, he wept, he mourned, he was sad. But as we move forward to verse three, it says, Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. So Abraham knew that he had to move on. Here's the thing, we have to move on. So he goes to the people and he says, hey, I need a place where I can bury my wife. I'm just a stranger and a sojourner. It's interesting that when we experience death, Doesn't it get us to just start seeing things a little more eternal? All of a sudden, all the stuff we're caught up in today, daily stuff, all of a sudden that doesn't become so important because we're beginning to see how finite we are. Up until that point, we think, oh, everything's going to be fine forever. And then all of a sudden we go, oh, wait, forever, it doesn't work. Abraham, Hebrews tells Abraham, he says, for he was looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. So he says, hey, I'm just a stranger and a sojourner. Can you help me bury my wife? I need to move on through this thing. I want to, I want, uh, the reason I bring that up is the next verse says this. The sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. I mean, I think that, that is impressive. Abraham is sojourning in the land that God had given him. God had already told him he's going to have this land from Canaan to the Nile. It's his. And he's going, I'm just a, I'm just a stranger and a sojourner. The people say, Abraham, you're a mighty prince. Isn't it, isn't it strange that, that just a few weeks ago we were looking at Lot. Remember, Abraham and Lot had this, this, these flocks, and the flocks were too numerous for the land that they were on, and and Abraham said to Lot, Lot, you choose where you want to go, if you go right, I'm going to go left, if you go left, I'm going to go right, just take your flocks wherever you think is the best place, and then I'll take mine the opposite direction, and Lot looks over to Sodom and goes, oh, it's fertile land, that's perfect place for me and my flocks, and he goes down there, and he he starts raising his flocks there, and before we know it, he's closer to Sodom, the next thing we know, he's in Sodom, the next thing we know, he's sitting at the gate of Sodom, being in a place of prominence, looking to figure out how to... I begin to conform to this culture so can I can have this place of recognition among the people. And what was the result of that? The angels came in and the men had no respect for Lot. Lot says, hey, you guys, please. They had no respect for Lot. When we as people try to conform to our culture to gain their acceptance, it doesn't work. Abraham, on on the other hand, was walking with the Lord. He was a sojourner. He was a stranger. He was just walking in obedience with God, trying to be the man God had called him to be. And how did the world see him? Abraham, you're a mighty prince. We're not gonna hold anything back from you. And so often as as people, we want to conform to the world and be so like people within us that they don't respect that. When we stand up and say, hey, I am a man of God and I'm going to do what God has called me to do, the respect is much more significant. So he's a prince. They see him as a mighty prince. And so he starts to talk to him about how he can get the property. And then down at verse 17, I told you we'd get through this thing really quick. Verse 17, they talk about Ephraim's field that he, that he bought and, and the field and the cave that was in it. And all the trees that were in the field that were within the confines of its border were deeded over to Abraham for possession in the presence of the son of Heth before all who went in, uh, in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Mephelah and, and face of Mamre, which is Hebron, and the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. So instead of people like they did with Lot ignoring what Lot asked, these people said, hey, you just tell us what you want, Abraham, and we'll take care of it. And so the first piece of property and the only piece of property that Abraham owned was a field with a cave in it so he could bury his wife. And that's what he did. And I think this is important for us. Again, when we start talking about how do we move on, Abraham moved on from mourning and weeping to the process of burying Sarah. We don't know how long he mourned and he wept, but he moved on. He began the process of moving on and bringing closure to that relationship. And this is important because all of us, if we go to a funeral or something, especially if it's a loved one, have that time where the casket's lowered in the ground and the dirt covers the casket. That is the time for us as people to bring closure to the relationship here and now. We still will have the relationship in our hearts. We'll still have the memories in our hearts. We'll still have a relationship with that person, but it brings closure to our weeping and our mourning and it gives us the opportunity to move forward. The cave was sealed. Sarah was put to rest. Abraham knew she's in a better place. And now as we move into chapter 24, we see it's time for Abraham now to move forward to what God had called him to be. And so often, if we get locked into mourning, we get locked into weeping, we don't move forward, we can't become who God wants us to become, to do what God wants us to do. And God wants us to be sad. He wants us to weep. But at some point, he wants us to move forward. And by the way, so do the people who pass away. They know what it's like in heaven. They're going, this is unbelievable. But man, don't worry about me. I'm in good shape. You need to finish what God has called you to do. You need to run the race. You need to finish the race. That's what they want us to do. So here, here's something that you can write down. Mourning and weeping are healthy and helpful. Mourning and weeping are healthy and helpful. But there comes a time to move on. So in chapter 24, we see Abraham moving on. This is really good stuff. It says, Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but you will go to my country, to my relatives, and take a wife for my son, Isaac. I read that, and I go, well, why? I mean, I'm just curious. Why, Abraham, (laughs) can't you just get some here? You've lived here peacefully for years and years and years and years and years. What's the big deal? And so I started looking at commentaries to find out what um, was the reason, and I couldn't find a commentary that would talk about it. I'm going, what the heck is this all about? Then I asked the smartest guy I know. And I went into Pastor Doug's office, and I go, Pastor, do you know why he, ha- he can't take it from the Canaanites? And he does what he always does when I ask a question, I don't know. <laughs> no, he really hadn't really thought about it. You know, he goes, I really haven't researched it. I don't know. I says, all right, I'll dig in a little bit farther. So I dug dug a little bit deeper and I found this guy. Um, Doug said he's really smart, so I trust him. His his name is John Calvin. (laughs) Yeah. If Doug says he's smart, I I believed him. Although I don't like how he writes. I just can't, I can't understand how he writes. But here's what he said. I want you to read it exactly how he wrote it. This is so good. Abraham here fulfills the common duty of parents in laboring for and being solicitous about the choice of a wife for a son. See, I told you, you can't understand what he says, but it's good. But he looks somewhat further, for since God had separated him from the Canaanites by a sacred covenant, he justly fears lest Isaac, by joining himself in affinity with them, should shake off the yoke of God. And he says, Some suppose that the depraved morals of those nations were so displeasing to him that he conceived the marriage of a son must prove unhappy if he should take a wife from among them. Because they're depraved, he shouldn't do it. But he says, no, that's not the reason. He says, but the special reason was, as I have stated, and now listen to this, that he would not allow his own race to be mingled with that of the Canaanites, whom he knew to be already divinely appointed to destruction. Yea, since upon their overthrow, he was to be put into possession of the land, he was commanded to treat them with distrust and perpetual enemies. So he's he going to take over the land. So he, he, he says, although he had dwelt in tranquility among them for a time, yet he could not have a community of offspring with them without confounding things which, by the command of God, were to be kept distinct." Hence, he wished both himself and his family to maintain this separation entire. And he says this was very important. To Abraham made his servant take an oath. God's promise depended on this. This is really good stuff. So here's the deal God said, Abraham, all this land is yours. I'm going to give all this land to your descendants. You are going to drive out all the inhabitants of the land, and it's going to become your land. Now, how can that happen? if the people that are in the land are his family. So if Isaac marries people in the land and they start having families in the land, how does he then, as he takes over the land, drive out all of the family? It can't happen. It can't happen. This is a principle that's really an important principle for us to understand, is when God gives us a purpose, it makes all kinds of decisions really easy. It just simplifies things. God said, Abraham, I'm giving you this land. So it's easy. Where are you going to get your wife? You're not going to get it from here because you can't. It won't work. It's, it's not part of the plan. And Abraham has already tried plan B a few times, and it hasn't worked. And he tried plan A last, last Sunday when Doug preached with Isaac and sacrificing, him. It It worked. And so now Abraham's learning, you know, I should probably stick with plan A. This is important because God gives us a plan A all the time. You know, let me give you a really simple one. I con Marge into marrying me. So we said I do. And, And when we said I do, that took care of all kinds of decisions that I need to make. Well, yeah, but she's pretty and she likes me and she's younger than Marge. Shouldn't I just at least go out with her and just enjoy the, no, no. She says, no, no, that's that's not even an option. I don't even entertain that right? Because my God's will for me is to be married to my wife, period. So all of those decisions about what do I do apart from her, thats just, it's an easy decision. I don't have to even think about it. It's just, it's not an option. You know, the 10 commandments says, thou shall not steal. I'm at work. I'm not getting paid enough. I'm not getting treated right. But you know what? I could probably cheat on my time card and maybe get a few extra dollars. No, that's not an option. That decision isn't even a decision that you make because God said you don't steal. God says my plan for you is to be this kind of a person where you are. It eliminates all those decisions. See, when you know what God's will is for your life, when you know what God's purpose is for your life, it makes a lot of other decisions much simpler, and it makes our life so less complicated. So Abraham was able to say, look, you need to go there and get a wife. And the, and the servant, who is really a smart person, no wonder he's running all of Abraham's stuff, because he says, okay, Abraham, just so I know, because this may happen, the servant said to him, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me back to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? And Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you will take a wife from my son for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So here's this, this, this servant, which is a smart thing to do, saying, okay, what if this happens? Now me, I just go, that won't happen. But Abraham goes, look, at, that's not gonna happen. Here's why it's not gonna happen. I'll tell you why it's not gonna happen. Because God promised me this land. I, I, we can't inherit this land if Isaac is over there. Are you with me? So again, the decision-making process becomes really easy. Should should I just bring them back to, to your country? No, don't bring them back to my country because God gave me this land. And by the way, if God promised that I would be the father of a multitude of nations, Isaac will get married. Okay, God is a God of promise. When God promises, God executes. God can't not do what God promises to do. Are you with me? So if you know God's promising, you know God's direction, you can make decisions based on that. No, don't take him there because he is going to get married. And by the way, it's going to happen. But even if it doesn't happen, even if that happens, let him stay in Canaan because somehow God is going to give him a wife from my relatives in Canaan. I don't know how he's going to do it. God told me to sacrifice him. I didn't know how He's going to bring him back to life. I didn't know how He's going to pull that off. I'm just going to do what God tells me to do. And so he says, listen, you just make sure that at the end of everything, he is in Canaan. If he has a wife, perfect. If he doesn't have a wife, God's going to take care of that either way. You with me? This is the exciting thing about being somebody who knows what God's called you to do. And by the way, men, the mission from God that we're going to learn this weekend, you might want to come if you're not signed up or registered. Just a thought. Uh, so, I love this thing. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> so, so the servant uh, placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning the matter. So he says, okay, if that's what you want to do, that's what we're going to do. And then verse 10, the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his masters, uh, in, his, of his master's in his hand, and he rose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. "'He made the camels kneel down outside the city "'by the well of water at evening time, "'the time when women go out to draw water. "'He said, "'O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, "'please grant me success today "'and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. "'Behold, I am standing by the spring, "'and the daughters of the men of the city "'are coming out to draw water.' Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also, may she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. I love this. So, so this is the exciting thing about this, this servant. And this is, I mean, this is why the guy is his right-hand man and everything. And, And I think something for us to understand is, is, I think this servant knew God. I mean, he's been with Abraham probably for decades. He's seen Sarah being barren. He's seen Sarah have a baby after being barren. He's seen a lot of the things that God promised Abraham and that God delivered to Abraham. And so when God, when Abraham says, you know, I want you to go find a wife, what does the servant do? The first thing he does is he prepares. He goes and fights Campbell, If I'm going to get a wife for Isaac, I need to have a dowry. I need to have the things that I need to have in order to do what God is calling me to do. And a lot of times, as God calls us, we need to be people who prepare. We need to prepare for the trip. And then he prays. And, and I like this prayer because I think um, what he prays is really significant. He says... Um, he said, he said, Oh Lord, the God of my master, Abraham. And people go, well, does he not know God? I think he knew God. I I don't know how you can walk with Abraham for decades and decades and decades and not know Abraham's God. Now, I don't know. It doesn't say whether he does or not, but but let me tell you what I think he's saying here. He's saying, God, you're the God of Abraham who has called me to carry out this task. And so you've told Abraham he's going to be the father of multitude, and Abraham has asked me to go find a wife for him. So in light of that, I am going to walk in obedience to you as Abraham obeys you, and I obey Abraham. And so he prays, and he, and he, and he, you know, he says, you know, the, the God of my, of my master Abraham He knew that, and then he says, you're the God who made the covenant and promise to my master Abraham. And so this is a servant who is a true servant. What I am doing is totally for the benefit of my master. I'm here to serve my master. I'm here to do what my master wants to do because my master is walking in obedience to you. So ultimately, I'm serving you. And then he says, grant me success today. Why? So that you could show loving kindness to my master Abraham. This is all about Abraham. It's all about God blessing Abraham and allowing Abraham to fulfill his promise. What a a great heart to have. What a great attitude to have. When we know that God has called somebody and we get to participate in God's plan by serving that person. And to be humbly serving that person. And so he prays and says, you know, God, if, 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 this, if this is going to work, um, he, you know, there's some things that I just want to throw out there because Doug has said he didn't have a Bible. So how would he know what God's will is, right? He didn't, he didn't have a Bible. So he says, well, look, at, how about if we just do this? Um, I'm going I'm to stand out here. And this is funny because don't we pray this way? He said, um, I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water, and God's going, duh, <laughs> I know you're standing by the string, I know they're going to come draw water, what do you want? I mean, don't we pray like that sometimes? Lord, please bless Ricky, and you know, Ricky is really having trouble because he doesn't have many brains, and you know that he has a struggle with doing some stuff, so he's going, I know all that, Dave, I mean, what is it that you want me to do for Ricky? And we, we kind of inform God of the whole background of everything that's going on, and and then we finally go, and you know, God, just give him brains. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know if we need to do all that background for God, but the servant does and God listens, so that's okay. And so he says, he says, look at God, here's some things that I want to have happen. I know they're coming out, so here's what I want to do. I want to I ask her for a drink. And then if she says, you know, I water your camels also, all that stuff, I would, that's cool, I mean, but you know, guys, if, if there's any single guys here, I probably wouldn't recommend that as, as a way to find a wife. You know, God, I'm sitting in this classroom and if this girl comes in and she comes in on the door on the left and if she walks through three rows and comes down three rows and goes down the aisle in the middle and then sits over here next to me, may she be my wife. Okay, uh, probably not a good idea. Okay, I wouldn't recommend that, but I would recommend some of what he did because here's what he asked for. He says, you know, if, if I ask her for a drink, would she give me a drink? I want somebody who would be a servant. And, and not only that, I want her to be able to take initiative because if I ask her for a drink, I want her to be able to say, well, not only will I give you a drink, but I'll give your camels a drink. So I want a wife that's going to be a servant, somebody who takes initiative. And not only will she be a servant and take initiative, I want her to be willing to go the extra mile. And maybe she'll just feed my camels until they're done. And so she says, yeah, take a drink. I'll feed your camels and I'll feed them until they're done drinking. And so I thought, well, how how much is that? How much water is she giving those camels? Because I've never fed a camel. Anybody fed a camel? So I did some research. I looked at the the best theological resource I could find, Google. How much do camels drink? So based on Google, camels can drink up to 53 gallons of water. (laughs) So do the math. 10 times 53. He's shaking his head, so it must not be that many. I've seen 32, but 53 is more impressive. But... If that's 53, that's 530 gallons. I mean, she would be carrying water back and forth for quite a while in order to do that. And whatever the amount is, I mean, think of her willingness just to feed all of the camels until they're done drinking and the servant's attitude that she would have. And so some people say, well, why would you test God? How could you pray, God, if you would do this, this, and this, then I'll know. I don't know if God had a problem with it because in verse 15, it says, before he had finished speaking, Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. Now, a little backstory on this. If you go back to Genesis 22, the very end of Genesis 22, it says that Abraham got a report from his relatives, and then it lists a bunch of people that say, hey, here's what's happening with his relatives back in Nahor. And Rebekah was listed. So Abraham actually knew that there was somebody named Rebecca who was born to his brother. So this, this was something that he wasn't just doing out of the blue. He already had some backstory of what was possible when he sent his servant to go do that. So verse 15, before he had finished speaking, she came out with a jar on her shoulder. The girl is very beautiful, a virgin. He didn't ask for that, by the way. But you know what? That's always good. And no man had relationship with her, and she went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Hey, can you give me a drink of water? She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered the jar from her hand, gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all the camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. I just love that. You know, God is, is so good that if we sincerely want to know what his will is for our life, when we sincerely are seeking him, he is going to lead us. He's going to lead us. He's going to answer us. He's going to respond to us. Now, he may not respond before we get done asking, but he will. He's faithful. He's faithful. And he doesn't say, well, you didn't pray right, so I'm not going to talk to you. God loves us. And God will respond to us like he responded to the servant. And the servant was just watching to see if she was the one that God was leading leading him to. Because he really didn't know who she was. Verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took some stuff and gave it to her. Verse 23, whose daughter are you? She wanted to know, was this part of Abraham's relative's? Tell me if there's room for us at the lodge in your father's house. She said, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Okay, she's part of the family. Again, she said to him, We have plenty of both straw and feet in the room and the lodge in. And the man, and this is really important. The man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. So, so God listened to the servant, brought Rebecca, found out it was Br- Rebecca, found out that she was a part of the family, and when God answers and he finds out that God answers, he worships God. He gives God the glory. Now me, I would have said, that was a great plan. Man, I don't know how I came up with that, but I am way beyond smart. You know, any of you guys like me, I didn't know I was that smart. I didn't know I could figure that out. He gives glory to God. So here's something that I think is important for us to understand as we're seeking God's will and as we're seeking to walk in obedience to God, is preparation and prayer are really key components to obedience. If we're going to walk in obedience to God, it's, it's good to, one, be prepared so that we can do what God has called us to do when we get to the place where God has us. And incidentally, as a servant is ministering to Abraham because Abraham is walking in obedience to God to a large degree, that's what we do here at Grace Fellowship. I believe Grace Fellowship has a call from God to minister to the community and to the world. And that's, that's, that's the mission that we have. And as, as I'm a member of this church, I'm walking according to the mission of Grace Fellowship. And as we as a church walk in obedience to God, and I walk in, in, in union with the mission, I am walking in obedience to God. And in order to do that, in order to execute the gifts that God has given me, I need to be somebody who's ready to do what God has called me to do when it's time to do those things. And so for me personally, I think one of the things that God has, has gifted me with is leadership. It's being able to be in the pulpit. It's being able to, to, to um, minister to the body in that way and to support Pastor Doug in times that he needs to have off, times when he has a heart attack or something like that, um, to be able to step in and do those things. And so in order to do that, though, you need to be prepared. I need to take the time and diligence to study and grow and develop so that when God calls me to do what he wants me to do, I'm capable of doing what he has called me to do. And each one of us in this room has that responsibility to be a part of the body that is serving in the body based on your gifts so that you can be prepared to do that which God calls you to do because you are uniquely you. Nobody else in this room is created like you are created. And you have a purpose that will bring glory to the Lord through your ministry here. You are critical to what God wants to do through the ministry here. It's so important to know. And then when God does it, we just give glory to God. When God answers, we give him the glory. It's his, he, he, it's his plan. He called Abraham. He took Abraham through all his plan B's into his plan A. He gave Abraham the land. He, he got, well, he didn't get Sarah pregnant, but he was the one that made Sarah get pregnant. So I don't know how to say that, but he was, the, it was God's deal, you know? So everything that happened was God working in Abraham's life to fulfill God's purposes through eternity, So then as we get through this, let's move down to verse 33, because Laban sees all the stuff that Rebekah has, and we'll learn about Laban Laban later, but he sees all that stuff, his eyes get really wide, and he goes, wow, let's go find this guy, brings him in with all the camels. And then it says in verse 33, because they made a meal for him, they wanted to feed him, and it says, when the food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. And he said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, so that he has become rich, and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. Now, Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age, and he has given him all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, suppose a woman does not follow me. And he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you to make your journey successful. And you will take a wife for my son from my relatives and from my father's house then you will be free from my oath. When you come to my relatives, and if they do not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. This is great. So this guy goes, they go, well, let's have, let's have dinner. He goes, no, no. I, I, there's a sense of urgency to do what God has called them to do. This is so important for us to understand because we have a tendency to be really lackadaisical about God's will, right? See, God says, you guys that are husbands and wives, don't let the sun go down in your anger. You have a fight with your wife, guys, you go to bed and you go to sleep. That's not what God tells you to do. Don't be lackadaisical about that. He says, go have a conversation with your wife. Make it right. Women, same thing. Make it right. We just go oh, next week, it'll go away. It always does. No, that's not what God tells us to do. We have to have a sense of urgency when we know what God has called us to do to do what God has called us to do. We can't be lackadaisical about being obedient to God. We have to know what he's called us to do and then be willing to do what he's called us to do. And I love what this guy does. He goes he's sitting to him and he he explains things to him. And and once you get to know Laban, Laban's eyes kept getting bigger and bigger because he says, Abraham is rich, flocks, herds, silver, gold, servants, maids, camels, donkeys. He has everything. And by the way, Isaac is the only heir. So everything goes to him. And he said, God would lead me here, which he did, because this is God's will. And he said, this is God's will for me to come here and get a wife from you guys, this is what God wants. And then listen to what he says. He says, and if you don't want to be in God's will, if you don't want to do what God wants you to do, that's on you. Ha! I'm free from my oath if you want to be disobedient to God. So what do you guys want to do? Ha! Could you imagine? So what do they say? Well, you know, the matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you right or not, good or bad. So you can have Rebecca. And what are they going to say? It was God's will, and he knew it was God's will, and he wasn't going to delay until he was able to do what God, to do God's will. And then in verse 52, this is what we do all the time, and they did it, of course. First they said, yeah, you can have Rebekah. And then in 52 it says, when Abraham's servant heard these words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servants brought out articles, silver, gold, gave them to Rebecca and all kinds of stuff. Then he had the men were with him ate and drank and spent the night. And they rose the next morning. He said, send me away to my master. But her brother and mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days. Say 10. <laughs> let, let's put this off. Can't we wait a little bit? Do we do that with God all the time? Can I just do that tomorrow? Can I, can we make up like next week? You know what I'm doing right now is so much fun. You know, I'll quit next month. He says, No, do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we'll, we'll ask Rebecca, and Rebecca says, Cool, I'll go. And so the, the servant had this sense of urgency to walk in obedience to what God had called, called him to do. So he brings Rebecca back, and as we close this thing up, I want to look at Isaac, because it says Isaac, who was coming um, from the Negev, he says he went out in verse sixty-three to meditate in the field toward evening. This is really, this is really important because Isaac was watching his father. So he's watching the relationship that Abraham had with his, with his father, and we talked about this last week a little bit, is why would somebody who's strong, strapping, with a 130-year-old father, 137-year-old father, let him take him up to a mountain, tie him up, and put him on a bunch of, of wood to offer him as a sacrifice, unless he totally believed Abraham's relationship with God was trustworthy, And so now Isaac is thinking, he's passing the torch to me. I know the servant is out finding a wife for me, and I'm going to begin to fulfill what God had called my father to do. And you know, when you are given a task like that, the most important thing that you can do is go be by yourself with the Lord. Allow God to to speak to your heart. Allow God to confirm what he's called you to. Allow God to be the one who strengthens you and inspires you and encourages you. So he's out meditating, being alone with the Lord. I mean, he had a lot of things on his mind. That was a huge undertaking. This is not some small thing. So he's out meditating with the Lord. He looks up, he sees the, the caravan. Rebecca sees him, says, who is that? He says, that's my master. She goes, okay, gets down, puts a veil over her face. Um, the servant tells Isaac who she is, he, he takes her into the tent, and they live, um, they get married. So, I told you I'd get through it. So the last thing I want us to understand, and I just want to close with this. First Thessalonians 4, 5.24 says this, Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. It's not God does faithful things. It's God is faithful. That's who God is. God cannot be not faithful. God is faithful. If God calls you, he's faithful. If God calls you, he's going to bring it to pass. If God calls you, when you do plan B, he'll get you back on plan A. When God calls you, he's going to be faithful to make sure you understand what you need to do. If God calls you, he's going to help you make decisions based on his calling. You're going to learn and grow in that thing. If God calls you, he's going to be faithful to do that which he's called you to do. And what we need to do is know what he's called us to do and trust him as he faithfully leads us to that which he has called us to do. What a great, great privilege it is to participate with God in his purposes for us in the kingdom. we got a short period of time to do it. I think we're going to probably have way less than 127 years. Just a wild guess, but I think most of us aren't going to get there. And so in the short amount of time that we have to walk in obedience to what God has called us to do and to fulfill the purposes he has for us, there needs to be a sense of urgency that we hear what he is saying to us and responding to what he's saying to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God that personally is involved in our life. And Lord, you have called us. Lord, you have a purpose for each one of us. And Father, I just pray that we'd each be tuned into that that each, we would each be aware of what you have for us. And, Father, that um, we'd be so convinced that we'd have a sense of urgency to walk in obedience. Lord, we know that you, through your Holy Spirit, um, have the capacity to speak to our hearts. And you, through the Holy Spirit, through your word, can speak to us truth. So we want to be teachable. We want to learn what you have for us. And we want to respond, Father, to the glory of your Son, in whose name we pray. Everybody said? Amen.